Oh, man. Okay. Will you guys turn with me to a Bible verse? Um, Job 25. Let's go to Job chapter 25. <laughs> All right. Everybody at Job 25? Okay. We'll get to it in a little bit. Because I'm still not there anyway. Job 25. Okay. So the question. The question that we have. And uh, it, it really wasn't worded as a question. So if this was your question, I hope I answer it, answer it thoroughly for you. Because uh, it was not really even written in a question form. But this is what I gathered. Is man different than son of man and are there different sons of man so we'll start off by man versus son of man so your first point here is there are three different words three three is your blank there are three different words used for man in the old testament three different words as they as they show up that they were translated into the word man so first you have enosh which is uh, what, it, what it means is mankind. They can be male or female, um, and it carries the connotation of mortal, frail, miserable, to be incurable, used of a wound, grief, woe, sickness, or wickedness. That's what Enosh means. So it's just mankind in general. It's not male or female. It's not a gender-specific term. And then... Funny enough, we have the term Adam. Adam is the, it, it's a Hebrew word, and it means also mankind. Male or female, it can be used either way, and it carries the connotation of red, ruddy, earth, ground, anything like that. And what it literally means is dirt man. Dirt man. Is there any, I don't think there's any Adams in here tonight, are there? Okay, good. Now don't go, don't go throwing that around to the Adams that you know, calling them Dirt Man and whatnot. You know your name is Dirt Man. So, but that is what it means, and obviously it makes sense if we're familiar with the Genesis account of how man even came into existence, right? Right. Okay. And then finally we have the word Ish, Ish, and that means man or male. In contrast to female, this, this term ish, it actually means um, a man and not, not woman. Um, it can mean husband, human, in contrast to God, um, and it also means servant. So, trying to answer is, is man different than son of man? And then now this will kind of make more sense as we look at these few verses as to why this question was posed. So Job 25, we're actually going to read uh, verses 2 through 6. And it says, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? You guys know who we're talking about here, right? Yep. Good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping for a little... Go ahead. Who, who, who is this talking about? 
Sure, Jesus, God. It's not a trick question, guys. It's really okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Not a trick question. You're the one that said yep. And then you didn't answer. It's God, Jesus. Okay, that's who it's talking about here. Verse 4. Verse 4, okay, because it said... Is there any number of his armies? Can you even number his armies? And upon whom doth his light not arise? God's light. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. And here it is. How much less man that is a worm and the sun of man, which is a worm. So it's basically asking, well, what's the difference? Aren't they the same thing, right? Well, it says, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. So just so you guys know, I'm not going to dive too deep into, oh, well, these mean certain things. But here, just know that different terms are in fact used. Okay, so when you see man in its first use here, it's actually Enosh. And when you see son of man, it's actually Ben Adam. So the one main thing I really do draw from Ben Adam, when this term Ben Adam is used, is it's reminding us that we're from that fallen first man, especially in context like this. What is the son of man that's less than, that's a worm compared to God, right? Because we're sons of Adam. We're all sons of Adam, that first man that fell. Next, Numbers 23, 19. Numbers 23, 19. A lot of you may be familiar with this verse. It's, it's definitely fairly frequently quoted. But this is another time where it shows up, where we see man and then son of man within the same verse. So trying to see what, what does this mean? Why does it say man and then son of man? All right, Numbers 23, 19. <clears throat> God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So again, we have man, and then son of man. It's man, Ish, and then son of man, Ben, Adam. Psalm 8. Go to Psalm 8. A little bit of flipping up front here. Psalm 8, verse 4. We're going to see it again. Psalm 8, verse 4, it says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? So again, we see man, it's Enosh, and then son of man, we have Ben Adam. And then this one really, I guess this one really jumped out to me. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And if we look at Enosh, it means mortal, frail, miserable, incurable. What is man that you even... Think about man. This is what we are. Incurable. We're miserable. We're frail. But yet you're mindful of us. And then the son of man. From that fallen first man, that dirt man, which is what we are. Which is why in Ecclesiastes it says that we will return to the dust. Because that's what we're made of. Even our bodies. We're still just made of the same thing that the dirt is made of. So the son of man, that you visit him. Not only do you think about him, you visit him. You come to see him. It's, it's what I was praying about. He, he gave us his word. And he visits us. 
and he changes our lives. And what are we? We're Ben Adam. We're the son of a dirt man that fell, that ruined everything. Yet he still thinks about us and he still comes to us because he loves us. Psalm 144. Psalm 144. Yeah. Son. Yep. Or son of. Nope, I went way too far. Psalm 144. Yes, Ben. It's Ben Adam. That's son of Adam, son of man. Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4. Again, this is very similar to to the Psalm 8, 4. And it says, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Again, we see that this time it's, it's flipped. It's Adam first. Right? What is man? What is Adam? That you take knowledge of him. That you want to know what's going on with us. Who are we? That you, God, creator, sustainer, perfect and holy, would want to know about what's going on in my life or the Son of Man, not only that you want to know, but you make an account of it. You make an account of it because it's important to you. Who are we? And so here we see it's, it's actually flipped. It's what is man? Adam, dirt man, right, from the earth, and then Son of Man, the Son of Man that is frail, mortal, miserable, and incurable. So the conclusion for this first little part here is man, singular, can refer to mankind, plural, plural, not just a singular man, but mankind as a whole. While son of man can refer to a man on an individual level, which I think is, is what we see here, right? At first, it's mankind as a whole. Like, what is man? Mankind. That you want to take knowledge of him or the son of man, that you're making an account of him, right? So we see the first one, that you take knowledge of man, this is general, this is mankind as a whole. But then that second one, you're making an account, it's a very personal account, and we know that, because the Bible also tells us that every single one of us will give an account for our lives before him in that day. And it's very personal, right? I don't have to give an account for you. I have to give an account for me one day. It's very personal. So these are, this is one way that this is used, and you have to learn some discernment, and when you're reading it, just use your context, because there's actually quite a few times where this shows up, but I didn't want to spend all night going, Ben Adam, Ben Enosh, Aish, right? <laughs> we didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. So there are many. I just actually looked up son of man, and there's a lot of times where it talks about man and then son of man, man and then son of man. And a lot of times, so this is some of the time here that it's referring to mankind as a whole and then individuals, son of man. It also can, can uh, be read this way. Man can also refer to an individual and son of man can refer to his progeny, to those who come after him. So you're dealing with the direct family line sometimes, which is another way that this shows up in the Bible. So just, you know, if you're reading through, don't let it get you worked up. Just look at the context and see what's being talked about here. 
Sometimes it is a specific man and those who follow in his family line. So here's what I do know, whether the, uh, the context points us to plural and singular or a singular man and his progeny, these words point us to our common fallen condition from our common fallen ancestor because that is really the context of almost every time man and then son of man shows up is it's pointing us back to how we are so much less than God. Yet, yet he loves us. Yet he still visits us. Yet he still cares for us and is very interested in our lives. So that would be man versus son of man. And then the next, uh, the next portion here is, are there different sons of man? So let's go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter 2. And again, this wasn't expressly laid out to the question that they were asking, but by looking at these verses, because these verses were put on the card, I'm guessing this is what they were asking. So, Ezekiel, so are there different sons of man? <clears throat> so Ezekiel 2, we're going to look at verses 1 and 3. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. Verse 3, And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. Uh, they and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. Is there anything that stands out to you both times Son of Man shows up in those, in those two verses? Is there anything that stands out? Yes. Capitalized, yes. So we got capital S, Son of Man. Okay? And then let's look at verses 6 and 8. And thou, Son of Man... Be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Verse 8, But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee, be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house, open thy mouth, and eat that I give thee. So what do you see about son of man in those two verses? Lowercase. Okay, so the question is, are these, is this two different people? Are we talking about two different people here? No, we're not. No, we're not. Back then, you know how many um, quotation marks you see in your Bible? Zero. Zero. They didn't do quotation marks. You know how they identified the beginning of a statement that is being quoted from someone else? They capitalized the first letter. And that's all we're dealing with. So if you go back now and look at Ezekiel 2, verse 1, this is Ezekiel saying, and he said unto me, and then this is Ezekiel quoting God, son of man. Verse 3, and he said unto me, this is Ezekiel speaking, then he quotes God, son of man. But if you jump into verse 6, he's in the middle of a quote from God. And he says, and thou, son of man, so it's not capitalized because he's not starting the beginning of a quotation. Same thing in verse, verse uh, whatever it was, 8. But thou, son of man, again, this is in the middle of a quotation. So, no, in this instance, we are not talking about two different sons of men. The capital letter doesn't mean immediately that we're talking about Jesus. It doesn't. Now, we can make a spiritual application because the prophets 
are types of Christ, but in its direct historical application, that is not what it's talking about. It's not calling him Jesus. It's not a direct application in that way. It's just the beginning of a quotation. So, on your paper, son of man is used 93 times in the book of Ezekiel, and I looked at every single one of them and the Hebrew of it every time, just for fun. And always refers to Ezekiel. Some are capitalized because they are the beginning of a quote from the Lord. And all 93 times, you guys know which word for man is used for Ezekiel? It's Ben... Adam. Ben Adam. Every time. Every time. Because Ezekiel, man, I'll tell you what. Anybody ever read through Ezekiel? Go ahead. You don't have to be ashamed. All right, now you should be ashamed because none of you have read through Ezekiel. <laughs> it is the craziest book in the Old Testament, man. Maybe judges could give it a run for its money, but Ezekiel, man, that book is crazy. God has him do some of the wildest things. And because of all these crazy things that are going on, I personally believe that's why God over and over referred to him as son of man. So that people didn't start elevating him up to God's status. Because this book is nuts. It is absolutely nuts. So much so that it says that God took his wife by giving her a stroke. And he told Ezekiel, don't you dare shed a tear for her. You're not allowed to mourn for her. Because this is how it is to me with what my people have done. My bride has left me. You don't shed a tear. I want you to, I want you to show them. You've got to live this and you've got to go show them. This is what's happening. Because this isn't a time where God is saying, please just come back home. This is a time where God is saying, you're being taken captive and I'm letting you go. I have to let you go. Because he's been trying to get their attention and trying to get their attention and trying to get their attention and they just won't have it. So he finally says, I got to let you go. And Ezekiel, you're going to show him. You're going to show him because I'm going to take your bride and you're not going to cry. And they're going to know this is of me. You're not going to mourn for her. It's a crazy book, man. So he's son of man over and over and over and over again. And then the last sentence here under this point, there's only one Old Testament reference of the son of man directly referring to Jesus Christ. Go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 7. Next book to your right. Daniel 7.13, and this is a prophecy, this is a vision that Daniel had. And it says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Now, is that the beginning of a quote? No, it's actually Daniel speaking of what he saw. This isn't a quote from anyone, he's not starting a quote here. And it is capitalized, and this is where it would matter. This is why Jesus said, every jot and every tittle, they all matter. Because then something like this should jump off the page. Because if you look at the beginning of a quote, it is always preceded by a punctuation mark, and then it has a capital letter. Do you see that there is no punctuation mark here? We're not quoting anything. One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. This right here is the one and only time in the Old Testament... Clearly throughout the Gospels, he's called Son of Man many times. But in the Old Testament, this is the only direct reference to Jesus being called the Son of Man. That's it. 
So any questions about man versus son of man or are there different sons of man? Please have a question while I take a drink. Which, Not that kind of question. Which man is that in verse 13? Like which of the three? Of course you would ask that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I didn't look that one up. Say all the above. I don't know. I don't know. I'll find it out before we all leave here tonight. She said, which man is that? Which Hebrew word for man is that? I don't know. We'll look it up. So, anybody have a blue letter Bible app on their phone? Okay, then it's your job now. Go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. You touch verse 13, and it'll bring up an option where it says interlinear concordance. Touch that, and then it'll bring up the Hebrew word for son of man. You have an iPhone, don't you? Me? Yeah. No. Really? Really? This is interlinear? Daniel 7. Yeah. Okay. Interlinear concordance. On Android? Aaron, is this a class on technology or the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We can work this out later. We can work this out later. I'll show you. Interlinear concordance. Touch on the verse. Interlinear concordance. And then it'll show you the words of the verse. And then it'll say, son of man. So it'll be like Ben something. Ben Ish, Ben Enosh, Ben Adam. All right, whatever. Any other questions? We'll get that answered. Enosh. There you go. Which again, we could try and read really deep into this. However, don't ever forget, he was called the Son of Man and the Son of God. And this is a clear distinction here that don't forget, he did come from a woman. His father was God, but his mother was a woman. So he's both. He's fully man, fully God. So, yes, mortal, frail. Yeah, his body was. Actually, that even kind of makes sense that it means miserable, used as a wound, Grief, right? It says that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in Isaiah 53. It makes sense. Any other questions concerning son of man? Ty, we've already got the answer. Okay, I thought you were still looking it up. Okay. Go ahead. Any other questions? I, I saw your hands moving. I thought you were still looking it up. I'm sorry. That's my fault. You're a good man. Just trying to make up for it. I know. So what do you got, like an iPhone? Eric just said Any other questions concerning son of man? Or sons of man? Okay, moving on. Next, this one will be a fun one. Who is the naked man in Mark 14, 51 and 52? So go ahead and turn to Mark 14. <laughs> All right, guys, Mark, Mark chapter 14. Is it because we said naked man? Is that what happened out here? Like, it's like you guys just exploded. We're not done yet. And we're getting through this question tonight, darn it. Who is the naked man? In Mark 15, 41 to 52, let's go ahead and read Mark 14, 51 and 52, and then we'll jump back in. It says, And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young man laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them 
naked. So this is when Jesus is being arrested, right? This is when he's been betrayed by Judas. They're arresting him. This naked man shows up in the Gospel of Mark. So let's go ahead and look back in verse 32 in this, in this Gospel account here. Uh, Mark 14, 32 through 42. It says, And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. So what we see is Jesus' prayer in the garden here that, that a lot of us are familiar with. We have his prayer in the garden next, 43 to 45. And immediately while he spake cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. So what we have here is Judas betrays Jesus. Verses 46 to 49. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. So what happens here is they take Jesus, and then in verse 50, they all and they all forsook him. And fled, so the disciples flee. And then we have this naked man that they try and grab, grab him. He just tears out of his linen cloth and goes running away naked. And that's really all we hear of him. So let's turn to Matthew. So I turn back to Matthew 26. Is this the same account? Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Again, we're going to see the same sorts of things. Jesus prayer in the garden. Judas betrays him. They take him and the disciples flee. But there is something interesting and important here that I want you to see. Is Matthew 26, and we'll say 36 to 46. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I wilt, but as thou wilt. 
And he, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. So it's his prayer in the garden again, verses 47 through the beginning of 50. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came. And with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? So Judas betrays Jesus, and Jesus calls him what? Friend. friend. That's your blank. Friend. I have no idea how much I personally needed this with things that are coming against me personally right now. But I'm very thankful that I'm reminded that my Savior, the one that bought me, the one that shed his blood on the cross that comes right after this, he knew what that man was about to do. And when he showed up, he called him friend. And he didn't rebuke him, and he didn't rat him out to the disciples and say, he's the guy. He called him friend and said, you know what? Whatever is God's will, that's what I'm going to do. And that ought to be our attitude. But it's not so easy when people are coming against us and we feel like people are saying things against us that are wrong and false and we want to defend ourselves. That's not what Jesus did. And I got to tell you, I've been learning this this week and it's been hard and it hurts. But I'm so thankful that I don't look out the world for my example. I look right here and I see that Jesus said, friend, to the man that just sold him to be pinned to a cross and take the wrath of God upon himself for me. And that's my example to follow. And that's all of our examples to follow. Judas betrays him, and he calls him friend. Verse 50 to 55. Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Coming from the man that just called Judas friend. Put your sword away, Peter. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out, uh, come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you, and you laid no hold on me. 
So they do here. They take Jesus. And then verse 56, it's the same thing from, the Mark, from Mark's gospel. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. You know, we're going to skip the Luke account. You can read it on your own if you like. It's very similar to these two accounts. But let's go ahead and jump over to, uh, back to, you know what, do we have to go there? Where are we at now, Matthew? Let's go ahead and, and stay here in Matthew. Uh, so the Luke account, basically we're reading the same thing, and we're going to see when we go over to the Gospel of John that there's something else that's added in that we don't get in the other Gospel accounts. So here in Mark 14, 51 and 52, because it, it says the same, basically the same thing in Luke. But in Mark 14, 51 and 52, we read that the young man is wearing a what cloth? Linen cloth. Linen cloth. And this word, linen, is sindon. Sindon. And it appears only four other times in three verses. So in Matthew 27, uh, verse 59, Matthew 27, 59, it's the same word sindon. We read linen cloth there in Mark 14, Matthew 27, 59. It says, and when Joseph had taken the body, this is after Jesus has died. This is after they've taken him down off the cross and he needs to be buried because the Sabbath is approaching. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean what? Linen, Linen cloth. And then in the Mark account, again, you know, we looked at 51 and 52. And then in Mark 15, 46, you don't have to turn there. Mark 15, 46, it says, and he bought fine linen and took him down, speaking of Joseph taking Jesus down, and wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And in Luke 23, you find the same wording. It's a linen cloth, and this is also at the burial of Jesus. So this word shows up six times in the New Testament, and four of these times it is clearly, obviously, talking about grave clothes, Right? So these are all references to grave or burial clothes. Grave or burial clothes. These other four times. So now, let's go to John chapter 18. John 18. We'll look at verses 1 through 13. Just so we can pick up, we know we're picking up where these other gospel accounts kind of left off. John 18, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where, where there was a, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted, resorted thither with his disciples." Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. So here, verses 1 through 3, we see we're picking up at these other gospel accounts. This is where Judas is betraying Jesus. Verses 4 through 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, 
they went backward and fell to the ground. So in verses 4 to 6 on your paper, Jesus declares his divine identity. Divine is your blank. Jesus right here declares his divine identity and the men fall to the ground. He reveals through his spoken word who he is and the power that he has to speak it. Verses 7 through 13. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I got to tell you, these men are either really dumb or really bold. Because they just got knocked to the ground from a dude saying, I am he. But they asked it again, or they answered him again anyway. But Jesus, now that he has shown them who he is, answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first. Which, um, we'll just keep going. For he was father in, father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. So verses 7 through 13, we see they take Jesus. So this is a different account. We don't have that prayer that we find in the other three gospel accounts of Jesus praying like that. But we know for sure we're at the same time in history as we were reading back here in the, in the other gospel accounts. And Mark is the only one that shows us this naked guy. So, we've got Judas betraying Jesus. Jesus declares his divine identity and the men fall down, then they take him. So here's where we land. Though no one knows for certain... Some believe this young man in a linen cloth is Mark. He's Mark, the gospel's author. They believe he heard of the commotion surrounding Jesus' arrest and came to see what was happening. However, it does not appear that any towns were close enough to make that journey on short notice and barely covered with a linen. It's not like this garden was in Mark's backyard. Okay, we're on the Mount of Olives here. So... There's not really a town super close for somebody to hear, hey, they're arresting Jesus, and a guy goes out putting nothing on but a, a cloth and running up this mountain to go see what's going on. I'm not saying 100% that it's not that way. I'm just saying it appears that that's kind of unrealistic. Although what I'm about to tell you may seem a little unrealistic, so you can land where you like. Others which I personally would agree with, believe this is a resurrected young man brought to life from Jesus' divine proclamation in the garden when he said, I am he, and the men went flying back. The Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane was, is a burial site. There are graves all over the place. And this would serve as a precursor to the graves opening at the death of Jesus. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 27. Because though it may sound a bit out there, let's not forget this did actually happen when Jesus died on the cross. People came out of the graves at that time in history. So again, I'm not going to stand up here and say 100%. This is fact. This is true. Personally, this is what I would believe. 
about this random guy in a linen cloth or grave clothes. It's the only other time that word is used in the, in the entire Bible is in reference to grave clothes. That's where, why, part of why I land here. So Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. All right, this is pretty freaky, right? I mean, we're not, here in this church, at least, you know, we're, we're thinking about the day of the rapture, right? We think, oh, yeah, that's not that weird. God's going to call this church out of here anyway. Do you think that the people in Jerusalem in roughly 30 A.D. had any idea about the rapture of the church, considering that the church literally started the second those graves opened? That's the moment the church began, on the cross. We find that in Ephesians. God slayed the enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles, creating the church on the cross. They had no idea. This would have been pretty freaky. But I'm thinking the same thing happened when they were up in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because then there'd be someone real close. There's graves all around on the Mount of Olives. Jesus makes a divine proclamation on that mountain. I think it's very probable somebody that was dead came up out of the grave. Because this is also the same gospel account and the only gospel account where we read that didn't Jesus do the same thing with his voice to a man named Lazarus in John chapter 11? Didn't he call a dead man out of a grave that had been in there for days? And I love how the Bible puts it when he's like, let's go see him. And they're like, are you for real? By now he stinketh. <laughs> and he's like, let's go. You're going to see the power of God. Could it be that this is some young man that was buried in a grave on the Mount of Olives? And when Jesus gave his divine power, someone popped up and all they had to wear was the linen clothes that they were buried in. That's where I land. So any questions, thoughts <laughs> on dead men, dead naked men rising from the grave? Just the linen. No? All right. You know what? I'm going to get a volunteer to close us out in prayer. Ty, please. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this time. We all get to come together, and I just thank you for this building and the people in our audience to be here, Lord. I know that uh, we all have our busy lives, and I just thank you for everybody being here and just this time of fellowship. Lord, I just uh, pray for these words that were just spoken to us. I pray that we don't forget them and just uh, go on for the rest of our lives. We actually do something with these words. Because we are actually accountable for these words that we were taught. I just pray that we uh, get home safe. And that we, uh, we praise your name in everything we do. And maybe get the opportunity to spread your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.